Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash US slash get QR code. This is episode number 122 with our guest, Jonathan Gill. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing. Hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Well, hello again to you. Happy to have you back. I hope you're happy to be back. As you know, we're right in the middle, winding up. We have a handful of episodes left as we continue our ongoing series from the time we spent at the event called Podcast Row. I loved that event. And again, I hope you're loving these interviews. Today, I sit down with Jonathan Gill. Now, he's the founder of a company called Backtracks, which is billed as the world's most advanced podcast analytics and hosting platform. What really stood out to me was not not just the fact that Jonathan raised $2.1 million in a round of funding for his company. Yes, impressive. Yes, exciting. But I wanted to know how he did it. Meaning, what ducks did he have in a row from his personal point of view? Not what did the business have in a row to attract that, but you as founder, as the driving force behind the company, how did you get yourself to the place where that was even a consideration and became possible? So we explore that. We also explore Jonathan's perfectionist side and how he had to put that aside. Can you relate It's a really insightful and deep dive conversation with my guest as we continue the episodes from our time at Podcast Row. Here is my talk with Jonathan Gill. One of my favorite times to be face to face with an extraordinary person to be able to talk with who I know has a lot to share Uh, This episode is no different. It's the founder of Backtracks. Uh, It's Jonathan Gill. Welcome, Jonathan. I appreciate you you you. coming on. It's great. And and good to see me, literally. Yes, in person. Yes. 
So you're the you're the founder of Backtracks. Um, we can get into what it is. Okay, so let's start there. What is it? And then we'll uh, we'll double back to making this extremely applicable to uh, to my story and your story, how it ties in, and for the audience. So Backtracks helps audio content creators and brands know and grow their audience and ultimately their revenue. So think about it like uh, analytics and monetization for spoken word audio. I'm a I I've been a podcast host for um, a little under a year. And I, I just, I just, I knew that I'd get into this and I'd love it. I'd enjoy it, but I didn't realize how much, um, you find that you have a, a similar passion for the, for the medium. I do. So the reason I got into it and to a degree is I'm a big fan of the medium, direct, direct communication with an audience, the interaction you get, the freedom of speech, all of that that comes from podcasting. Uh, I like it professionally, personally, I really love the medium. So you, in your company, which has uh, been around really since 2016, not a tremendous amount of time, but enough time where you just announced a seed funding round of $2.1 million. That is correct, yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Now, to get to that point, you have to have a lot of your ducks in a row, I imagine. Let's just talk from the personal side. Were you always this strong person to be able to even achieve that? No is the short answer. And so to actually be able to start Backtracks, I had to go through my own journey of really discovering who I am, discovering what I'm capable of. And that actually took a, a physical journey over geographic distance. So I worked in corporate America, uh, was at a startup, the startup um, I left. It was acquired by Vista Equity. That startup was called Mozu. And I essentially was didn't know what to do next. And then I was traveling to try and understand myself better. Uh, so I'd just been essentially toiling away. And I guess the, the purpose was not there at, the, at that moment. And then uh, was traveling out of a backpack essentially. And then I had always been analyzing audio and uh, I can get into that story. But when I was able to start Backtracks was when I uh, had time to be with my own thoughts and to think about what I actually wanted in my life and what I was capable of and what I wanted to, to help the world with. And I would say in the past, uh, I wasn't there in a mental uh, capacity to where I could pull that off. Yeah, tell me about this, because uh, you've mentioned a few times that you you didn't know who you were and what you were capable of. And I use that term myself quite a bit for 40 plus years. The only difference is that I, I always knew what I was capable of. I just hid that and I resisted that. So prior to this current iteration uh, and evolution of you, um, who were you? What kind of a person were you? And what was missing that drove you down this better path? I think uh, I've always been someone that appreciates mastery over a certain craft. I'm still very much tied to, to that uh, personally as well. But in terms of kind of how I looked at things and thought about it, it was maybe more externally than intrinsically motivated. And now the way I think about things is really what's coming from the inside and what can I help the world and, and partners with. So not just 
what's good for me, but what's good for other people and us collectively. And the motivations behind why you do something. Is it a financial reward? Is it, uh, what are the motivations behind that? And I think over time I became more comfortable with, uh, what will make me the happiest. And then it's not really me. It's really, what am I doing for other people? What am I doing for an industry? What am I doing for my friends and my family? And uh, I know other people might get there a lot faster, but uh, when I got to the point that I could get there uh, was when I was able to uh, to work on backtracks. And I had always thought that uh, just background-wise, my family is not financially well off. There are certain things and opportunities I thought were essentially out of reach. And then um, over time, I changed my perspective in that well, what do I actually want? What what does it take to get there uh, to accomplish those goals? And sometimes that's convincing other people to uh, to invest in your company, like with Backtracks. Uh, sometimes it's convincing people to join you on a journey. But uh, and without the baggage of saying, well, you know, I'm not on the same footing as someone else to start with. I have to work harder. All of that and all of that may be true, but you can overcome that uh, sometimes with a a little flip of a mental switch. Let's talk about the journey, and in your case, a literal journey, right? Yes. Uh, what What was the defining moment to say, okay, tomorrow or this date in the future, I am going on this physical journey? I had worked since I was a teenager, so nonstop uh, in terms of I started working when I was 13 or 14, and before the age that you're technically supposed to work as many hours as I was working in. Uh, but I had started and just worked nonstop. And then uh, I never took that time for uh, self-reflection to a degree. And then it was at a state that I was, I should really know myself better than I know now. What should I, what should I do? And there were things I never really traveled, never really got out there and I needed time in my own headspace. And then uh, got to see family had time to just sit alone with my thoughts and figure out what's what's next. What kind of thoughts were going through? Were they all the good, positive, like, wow, this journey is exactly what I needed? Were there a lot of down moments or all across the board? It was all across the board. There were a lot of, what am I doing? Just traveling around without, uh, you know, a defined purpose of what I'm uh, trying to get out of this trip or get out of this time period. There is the, the downs of, what am I going to do next? Or uh, what did I do before? Was it the right thing? Am I using my time wisely? Am I using my energy wisely? And then there were the positive aspects of uh, the freedom to choose your your next steps and your your future to a, to a degree. And uh, I think when you open yourself up to some of those opportunities was, was when that came to me and when Backtrack started. Was there a level of trust that you ultimately had to say, well, I don't know all the answers. I'm just going to have to trust that one way or another this will work out. There is. So that was harder for me to do before as well. And that I think I liked to control the outcome of circumstances uh, more than uh, I really think is uh, at this point. It's not about controlling the outcome and it's more of uh, doing the work, doing the activity. And sometimes you don't know how it's going to end up. And I became more comfortable with that 
uh, over time. And for Backtracks and for me, it was to take the action to start. And then things may work out good. They may not work out. But uh, what's what's the worst is kind of where I got to. I, I appreciate the whole aspect of um, wanting to control the outcome. Does that mean that you have a perfectionist nature? Is that I what we're talking about? I definitely have a perfectionist nature. Which yeah. was extremely evident in your prior iteration of you, but now is a little more in check. How does it play out today? Yes. So I think in terms of when I have evolved uh, as a person, and I hope everyone has their chance to do that, and in terms of how I think about things now is more about leverage of myself and other basically making a team better than uh so the way i think about it now is i can't be good at everything how can i leverage and maximize opportunities for a collection of people and so what i can do in that circumstance is now i've learned to be more comfortable delegating and finding people better at things than me and then essentially how can our powers combined be greater than our uh, our separation so what I tried to do in the past uh, was control the outcome, control as much of the process myself, because I would think that would end up with a better outcome. That wasn't always true. And so what I think about now is how can I get a group of people working together, that their personalities gel, and that there's an element of trust of, I don't know the exact outcome of this, but I understand this person to a degree. They understand me. We're trying to accomplish this goal. We'll get somewhere farther than we were apart. So I think now it's less about uh, doing the actual activity all the way myself and the perfectionist idea of I need to do everything to control the outcome and more of let's set the ball in motion in the right direction and these are the people on the team and We'll collectively figure it out, and we have the right skill sets and personalities to, to work together to enable that. Are those the elements that were in place in order to successfully complete the $2.1 in funding, or are there other elements that you can help connect the dots for? There are some other elements. That is part of it is one of the things that to raise that amount of money for a, for a startup is that you need the ability to build a team, to build a product, to execute, to take an idea to something uh, of fruition and value. So you have these milestones and checkpoints of, are you able to convince other people to join you in a vision, a collective vision? Can you convince someone else to do something as crazy as you of, in this case, make less or no money to start a journey and sometimes it wasn't their original vision of what they thought they were going to be doing with uh, the next few years of their life. And so it's, can you convince someone else to participate in a journey collectively? Can you convince people to pay you money for a thing if you're building a product or a company? And then if you can do those two things in ever increasing amounts, you can convince a third party as an investor to say, well, you're able to convince clients, customers, partners, and uh, prospective employees and founders to do all of this. So now, as on the investor side, is your ability to set that ball in motion towards a certain trajectory of you see where that puck is going, is I believe in your ability to do that. I believe in the concept. I've seen your execution. So they basically get de-risked as you're able, and then they know, well, 
you can't control everything in a company to a certain degree. Are you able to find the right people to trust to accomplish a vision that uh, is these goals? And, you know, investors have their own goals. Employees, co-founders have their own goals, clients, partners. How do you work all that together to where everybody wins? And so it's a little bit, a little bit of both. Yeah, you talk about being able to convince the uh, partners, the team members, the customers, the investors. Are we talking about good old-fashioned sales? We are, but uh, I didn't know anything about sales going into this. So our first clients were all truly consultative, outbound sales. Of I didn't know anyone, any of our first clients and partners I just emailed them and I would guess their emails and I would email them based on uh, that there's something I could help them with and here's the solutions. And then sometimes it was, I'm helping you with things that aren't even our product, but it was more of the consultative. Then I learned uh, my assumptions about sales, my assumptions about certain processes were wrong and that 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 is sales. And it's like I'm solving somebody's problem and potentially finding a solution for it. And sometimes that is a product, it's a service. And then I think in my mindset before that, it was the caricature of a slick salesperson that's doing a hard sales tactic. And my approach is not that, but it is sales. And it is, I'm, the way I would describe myself is I'm a professional problem solver and all jobs are problems that you're solving. So what's the job to be done? And then the way that we approach it was, it is sales, but when you step back, it's not what is the like Hollywood portrayal of sales. There's yeah. a lot more nuance to it. It gets a bad rap. Yeah. We know that. And everything is a sale. When I go home and I talk to my my daughter or my son about cleaning up their room, it's, it's a sale. Yeah. <laughs> right? And I need all the equipment in that sales presentation to get the outcome that I want. But we're all selling something every yeah. minute of every day. Even, even right now, there's a sales interaction of sorts going on. Yeah. And there's nothing sleazy about it. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it all about communication and how you do it? Yes, it is. So I think one thing I increasingly value is the ability to summarize uh, concepts. And one of the values of communication and understanding someone's perspective from a sales and uh, just interpersonal relationship standpoint is your ability to take your ideas and implant it in someone else's brain or vice versa and your efficiency in doing that. It's all communication. It's all sales. And the better you get at, uh, at communicating, you'll see that translate into other aspects of your life. So whether it's written, verbal, visual communication, as you are able to get to the core of how you best do that, that's one of the tipping points that enabled us to do things like raise this round of funding was how do you communicate the idea of what you're trying to accomplish to different stakeholders? And I love the word communication, especially in this regard, because I don't hear it enough. But when you talk about it, it seems like that's all it's about in every regard, in any regard, communicating your message, your brand, your goals, your needs, your wants, your personality. All of this needs to be communicated well through written, through video, through all kinds of messaging and phone. Um, and how do you do that? over and over and over and over again, right? Isn't that the only way you can get better at something like it? You just got to do it and do it and do it. That is the only way. So I used to have crippling stage fright. I would have to practice the presentations for first days and then hours and then you minutes. You put in the work. And then you put in the work. And 
you know, my hands would shake in any presentation opportunity. And then essentially you desensitize yourself to the fear over time. And that was one of the things is I never thought I would be in the position to be, well, for this company, I'm the CEO and the public face and I speak the most about it. I communicate the most about it. And in the past, that would have been a point of, of fear for me. And then it's essentially uh, a de-risking and a forced desensitization because that's what enabled me to accomplish my goal of I want to communicate with this person and what I have to do is something uncomfortable for me until it became comfortable. And now I'm sitting here in front of you and my hand's horizontal and uh, other than the caffeine, it's not really shaking from uh, from nervousness or things like that. And that that was putting in the work and yeah. very much uh, it, it took some uh, facing of some some fears on my part, which I think a lot of people have a fear of public speaking, a fear of honest communication and uh, fear of rejection. Yeah. But the only way to get around it and you're talking about it and certainly any successful founder or entrepreneur um, doesn't wake up with all of these strengths. Right. We take something that we might be inherently good at. Uh, but there's a whole host of other things that we have to show up with and for and get good at it. And I think a lot of people, once they identify these things that they're not good at, they'll just break it down and say, nope, I, 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 I can't go forward. Yep. And I think what you can change about that is not that let those things stop you. Is So it's a wall that you can break down and that you can go forward through. Is what is stopping you? Is it you? Is it something else? And then if it's, I want to accomplish this goal... Part of it is how hard are you willing to work? What are you willing to change to accomplish those goals? And some people stop in that adversity scenario. And some people, that really puts the fire in their belly to keep going of, I'm not good at this, but do what I need to do. I need to get good at it or find people that are good at it to help me. And then, it, and it's one of those checkpoints that if you can push through that and get around that, uh, you'll be on your way to accomplishing your goals. I want to make the final point that something we share is that un, I, I struggled in my previous businesses forever and then always went back to the drawing board to come up with something bigger and better and, and harder for the audience and the customers. It never worked until I worked on myself and realized that that's what needs to change first. And I just want to connect those dots that that was the exact same thing for you, right? It was the exact same thing. So it is, even in the communication standpoint, it's not... Oh, the customer isn't understanding. The market isn't understanding. It's I'm not explaining it correctly. It's I'm not communicating more efficiently. Even from that standpoint, it's how you think about things and think about problems yourself. It's not someone else's fault a lot of the time. It's something you need to. Uh, it's something you need to work on yourself for helping someone to understand. So, mm. if your messaging is too complicated as a company as a product, it's not someone else's problem. They don't understand what your solution is doing. It's it's your problem to that you're not communicating it for them to understand. And whether you ac actually believe that or not, it's in your benefit to own that and yeah. believe it. I will leave you with this final question. Jonathan Gill, how would you like to be remembered? I would like to be remembered as someone that uh, helped his friends, his family, uh, that really put them uh, at the forefront of his thoughts and his actions and uh, professionally, someone that in, moved forward in, in this industry. But I think mostly I think of myself in that way. And if uh, truthfully, it's like I hope somebody says I'm funny before I die and then uh, 
Yeah, we'll see. I love it. Thank you so much, Jonathan Gill. Thanks, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.